Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. I uh, shared a stat with you all a few months ago that I want to share again this morning because I just find it to be so incredibly compelling. In the parts of Jesus' life that we have recorded in the gospel accounts, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four guys who told the story of Jesus' life and works, in the parts of Jesus' life we have recorded in those books, he was asked 183 different questions. 183 different questions. Do you know how many he answered? Three. 183 questions, only three direct answers. But not only that, When Jesus is asked a question, he often responds with questions of his own. He returns a question with a question. So if you combine those with all the other questions that Jesus asks in Scripture, you get 307 questions. So for those of you keeping track, that's 307 questions asked to Jesus, 183 questions asked by Jesus, but only three answers given. It seems like those three answers would be kind of important, right? So let's look at them. The first one happens when Jesus' disciples, his kind of closest followers, aren't able to heal a young boy after the father brings him to them. The father takes his son then to Jesus, and Jesus heals him immediately. And the disciples are understandably frustrated, so they ask Jesus why they couldn't heal the kid themselves. Here is Jesus' answer. He replied, because you have so little faith, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's the first one. The second question is when Peter asks Jesus about forgiveness. Here's how it goes. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That's the second one. So one about faith and then one about forgiveness. And listen, those first two are are great, but I think the third and final time is honestly the best by far. This time, it's a question asked by a Jewish religious leader belonging to a group called the Pharisees. Here's his question. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when it says that this guy is an expert in the law, it means that he was a religious leader who had memorized all 613 commandments in the Jewish law that we now have in the Old Testament of our Bibles. So this expert in the law is asking Jesus to narrow down the 613 laws for him, to choose what is most important in the eyes of God. Now, Matthew tells us when he writes about this that this question is meant to trap Jesus which might sound kind of strange since Jesus is talking to a religious leader. But you have to remember that the vast majority of religious leaders at this time hated Jesus. Because the religious leaders, instead of helping people, they used religion to get money and power from the very people they were supposed to be helping. 
They did this primarily by positioning themselves as the only ones who knew how to make God happy. And then, shockingly enough, they told people that God was the most happy with them when they gave the religious leaders money and influence and power and did exactly what they said they were going, that they needed to do. So these men hate Jesus because he starts messing up their whole system, the thing that they had going to get them more money and more power. And he messes it up by telling people about the unconditional love of God, the stuff that we just sang about. He teaches people that they can't earn God's love by trying really hard, by keeping all the rules, but that God loves them fully and completely simply because they are his children. So this particular religious leader in this story thinks he can trick Jesus with this question he asks. Because listen, if Jesus elevates one law above all the others, they will accuse him of contradicting God who gave all the laws equally. But if he doesn't elevate any of them, if he doesn't answer the question, they'll accuse him of being ignorant of the law and therefore unqualified to be a teacher at all. This is really like a no-win situation for Jesus. And of the 183 questions he is asked, this seems like the perfect one to not answer. But he doesn't. He answers it. And he answers it so directly that Jesus' answer here has come to define what it means to be a Christian more than any other verse in the entire scriptures. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It doesn't get any more direct than that, right? Jesus says, love God and love others. That is what's most important. And he even kind of doubles down on just how important and how far-reaching this command is when he says that all the law and the prophets hang on this. This is Jesus saying that every single thing that God has ever commanded comes down to this. If you think about it this way, like a door hangs on two hinges the entirety of the Christian life hangs on loving God and loving others. This is why last August we kicked off something that we call our year in the greatest commandment, which simply means we are spending this year walking through various teaching series designed to help us understand and embrace what it looks like to love God and to love others. So during this past fall, we focused in on the first half of the greatest commandment, what it means to love God. And we did this primarily by talking about the great love that God has for us. And there was this incredible guy in the Bible named John who had the craziest self-given nickname of all time. In his writings, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's like, feels kind of arrogant, right? He's like talking about himself. Yeah, and the disciple whom Jesus loved was there too. That was me, that was me. He did this, though, not because he was arrogant or self-centered, but because he had experienced the incredible love of God in a way that changed everything about his life, even how he thought about his own identity, his own name. And here is how he talks about the love of God in one of his letters from Scripture. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Listen, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love, and we love because he first loved us. 
The love that God lavishes on us is the foundation for everything else, both how we love God and how we love others. So as the calendar turns and we start the roaring 20s, as I said to every single person who came in, I felt like the people who were greeting at the door heard me make the roaring 20s joke like 100 times. So apologies um, to Kate and Audrey for that. But 2020, that's what I'm going to start doing. Jake said it was going to catch on. Yeah? 2020. As the cal- No, people are shaking their heads. Okay, we'll workshop it still. I'll think through it more. But as the calendar turns and we start 2020, we shift our focus to the second half of the greatest commandment, what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, just like Jesus said. So today we begin a brand new teaching series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And yes, we did steal that from Mr. Rogers. We stole the theme song from Mr. Rogers. Please don't report us or Facebook will take it down. But listen, I don't actually think Mr. Rogers would mind because if you've seen the documentary by the same name, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that came out in 2018, you already know that Fred Rogers was a pastor. He was a graduate of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He got into the television industry because he was so frustrated by the anger and the violence he saw depicted on TV programs during his time, and he thought there must be a better way to use this technology for the glory of God. In a 2001 interview with CNN, he said this, I got into television because I hated it so. And I thought there was some way of using this fabulous instrument to be of nurture to those who would watch and listen. Fred Rogers was determined to use the far-reaching abilities of TV to spread the message of unconditional love that God had for people. And he did exactly that, right? If you've ever seen Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know what I'm talking about. No matter your age... Mr. Rogers had an amazing gift of making you feel listened to, making you feel loved, making you feel accepted, no matter who you are. No matter where you lived in the world, he made you feel like you were his neighbor. But as much of a pioneer as Fred Rogers was, he didn't come up with the idea of loving your neighbor, right? Jesus did. Mr. Rogers just made it for TV later on. In another interview, Fred Rogers shared the why behind everything he did on TV. Here's what he says. The whole idea is to look into the television camera and present as much love as you possibly could to a person who might feel that he or she needs it. We all long to be lovable and capable of loving. And whatever we can do through the neighborhood or anything else to reflect that and encourage people to be in touch with that, then I think that's our ministry. That was Mr. Rogers' ministry. God has placed within every human a desire to be loved and to be capable of loving. That's why Jesus said that loving God and loving others are the most important things that we can do. So for the next four weeks, during this Won't You Be My Neighbor series, we're gonna dive deeply into what it means to love our neighbors. And with the rest of our time together this morning, I want to address something really important that is gonna serve as the foundation for the rest of our year in the greatest commandment. And that's this. Loving God and loving others are inseparable commandments. Loving God and loving others are inseparable commandments. This means that you cannot love God if you do not love others. Or maybe I should say it like this. It means that you don't love God if you don't love others. 
And if that sounds harsh or strong to you, it's nothing compared to what John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writes in Scripture. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. He says it doesn't matter how much you claim to love God. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible for three hours every day or every morning. It doesn't matter if you, you pray for three hours every night. It doesn't matter if you go on mission trips every summer, give 20% of your income to the church. It doesn't matter if you pastor the largest congregation in America or write a best-selling Christian book. If you aren't loving your fellow human, you are not loving God. You may have noticed there at the end of John's passage, he says, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So you can probably infer when John says that he has given us this command, he's talking about Jesus. But I want to show you exactly where Jesus gave this command. John himself actually records it in his account of Jesus' life. It happens during something called the Last Supper. Jesus and his closest friends are sharing the Passover meal together. And his friends don't know it yet, but this would be the last meal that they all share together that they ever have with Jesus before he is betrayed by Judas, falsely convicted, and then eventually killed on the cross. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows it's their last time together, so he takes the opportunity to teach them about some really important things. And one subject that he touches on over and over again during this teaching time is the subject of obedience, what it means to keep his commands. Now, for those of us more used to the kind of grace language that Jesus used, some of this language can be a little bit jarring, but here's what it says. If you love me, keep my commands. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who, who does not love me will not obey my teaching. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Pretty direct. Jesus seems pretty clear. We love him by obeying his commands. So what are all these commands? Is it the, the 613 laws that the religious experts had memorized from the, the Old Testament? Is it the Ten Commandments given to Moses from the mountaintop of Sinai? Is, it a, is there a list somewhere else in, in the New Testament, maybe in one of the letters that Paul wrote to the early church? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. Jesus actually starts and ends this very teaching time by telling his followers exactly what the command is. He starts by saying, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, just in case you didn't get it the first time, if you love one another. Then he says it two more times as he brings the teaching to a close. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my command. I said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now listen, this is my command. 
love each other. This is why John says he has given us this command. You see, John was in the room when Jesus taught this, and it changed everything for him. Notice also that Jesus calls this command new, right? A new command I give you. Now, only God can give new commands. Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. These disciples had heard their whole lives that they were to keep the 613 commands of the old covenant, that they were to abide by the 10 commandments given to Moses, their, their forefather. Many of them had probably even attempted to memorize all 613 of those commands, but Jesus says, that was the old way. Behold, I am doing something new. You used to have 613 commands, but now you have one. Love one another. And if you're thinking, well, I thought there were two, right? Love God and love others, not just love others. Remember what Jesus said. Whoever keeps my command is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Here's what Jesus is saying. We love God when we love others. We love God when we love others. Jesus says, you want to show me how much you really love me? Then follow my command and my example. Love others selfishly and sacrificially, without prejudice or qualification. I want you to love others. We love God when we love others. Or to put it another way, we love God when we love his kids. We love God when we love his children. Now, if you're a parent listening right now, you know just how true this is in your own life, right? If someone wants to show me how much they love me, they need to love my kids really well. We have this neighbor named Nikki. She lives just across the street and a couple of houses down. We've been in our house like three years now, and, and Nikki just kind of, she's like the street captain, right? Like she, we're, we're at text groups, and we've got Facebook groups. She's, she's on the little like HOA board thing, and she's always keeping everything tight, keeping it together, right? She's letting us know if something's going on. She's awesome. Every single time she stops by my house and we are out in the yard playing, she plays with my kids. Every time. And you know what she doesn't do? She doesn't play what she wants to play with the kids. She plays what they're playing. So if Judah's playing soccer, she plays soccer. If Judah's playing dodgeball, she dodges the ball. <laughs> Whatever they are doing, she gets down on their level and she plays with them. And you might think, what a small, dumb thing. I'm telling you, I would do anything for Nikki. She called me any time of day. I would do anything for her because she has loved my kids well. Christmas afternoon, she walked over to our house and had individual picked out presents for each of my boys that she gave to them. This is just a neighbor. She's amazing. She loves my kids well. But the reverse is true too, right? You and I, we're not okay if you're mean to my kids. I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to say that, right? But I'm just being real. If you're mean to my kids, we're not gonna be okay. We're not going to have a good relationship. You can buy me nice stuff, you can post nice things about me on Facebook, you can tell me I look thin in my new jacket. Doesn't matter, okay? If you're mean to my kids, 
we're not gonna, it's not gonna go well for us. When you're mean to my kids, listen, I'm not gonna believe you when you say you love me. Does that make sense? You tell me you love me and then you're mean to my kids, I'm not gonna really believe you. God is clear throughout scripture. Don't claim to love him if you don't love his kids. Don't pretend like you love him if you don't love his kids. Don't tell other people to love him if you're not loving his kids. We love God by loving the people he loves, which is everyone, by the way. We love God by loving the people he loves. So how do we do this? How do we follow the teaching and example of Jesus by loving people really well? Well, we're gonna spend the rest of the spring learning all about that. But I wanna quickly, before we end, revisit something that we talked about a few months ago. It's a new decision-making practice that I've started using that I actually know that a lot of you have started using too, and you have told me incredible stories about what you've seen God do with it in your life. And it's simply this. When we are faced with a choice, we ask, what does love look like? When we are faced with a choice, we ask, what does love look like? Because if Jesus says the most important thing is to love God and love others, and the best way for us to show our love for God is by loving others, then any time we interact with anyone, we should be asking, what does love look like in this situation? When you go out with someone for the first time, you're on a date, right? Instead of trying to impress them, instead of pressuring yourself or the other person to act or something or do something, simply ask, what does love look like in this situation? How can I serve them? How can I sacrificially care for them like Jesus did? When you get home from work after a long day and your spouse or your kids are kind of driving you crazy, ask, what does love look like, right? Don't ask like, how can I get out of this the fastest way possible? Don't ask, how can I just like get my kids to go play by themselves for a while? Ask, what does love look like? I'm not saying that you don't send your kids to play by themselves because that's a good thing and I do it all the time because that's what love looks like sometimes. What does love look like? When you see someone experiencing homelessness, you roll by them, you stop at a stoplight and they're there, ask what does love look like? When you are talking to and then tipping your wait staff during your next meal, ask what does love look like? I tell people all the time, I can know pretty much everything I need to know about a person by the way that they treat wait staff the way that you talk to people when they're waiting on you, the way that you tip them after they care for you. Ask, what does love look like with this person right now in this moment? With every person in every area of your life, let's start asking, what does love look like? And let's watch as Jesus starts to transform things in amazing ways. Over the next few months, during the second half of this year in the greatest commandment, we are going to explore what love looks like in a bunch of different areas of our lives. But listen, by explore, I don't just mean talk about. I don't just mean me up here talking about, exploring all the different things that love does, all the ways that it works out in our lives. That's not what I'm talking about. One of the things I love so much about our church family is that we don't just talk about things. We put things into action. Here at Restore, we constantly want to be exploring ways for us to love God and love others tangibly. Not just talk about it, but be about it. That's why we're so intentional with the work that we do in our city. One of our core values here as a church is partnerships. 
We help those in need by partnering together with organizations who are already doing good in our community and around the world. Our community partnerships are involved in every major area of need across our city, from kids in foster care to people experiencing homelessness and everything in between. During this past holiday season, many of you stepped into an opportunity to love others through our partnerships, and the results were over 2,500 pairs of socks and 50 Christmas dinner boxes given away to people in need. $7,500 worth of stuff given away over the holiday season because you guys stepped into a tangible opportunity to love others the way that Jesus did. You sat in those seats, you got up out of your chairs, and you asked, what does love look like? And then you did it. That's, I'm just, I'm proud. I'm proud, I'm honored to be your pastor because of the way that you guys respond to stuff like that. Over these next few months, we're going to have opportunities to love people all over our great city and even around the world. We're gonna give you opportunities to love God and love others by jumping in to serve people here at Restore and all over the place. That's why today we are kicking off our annual Find My Place initiative. I'm so excited about Find My Place because I truly believe that nothing deepens our relationship with Jesus and our relationships with each other more than serving together. But I'm gonna stop talking about it because I promised John and Matt that I would let them tell you all about it. So I'm gonna pray, and then they're gonna come up here and tell you all about Find My Place. Lord God, as we spend the next few months exploring what it looks like to really love people well, to love people like you, like Taylor's saying, God, to love with open arms like you do, God, give us opportunities to tangibly love others, and then give us the courage to step in to those opportunities. Stir our hearts, God, as we ask, what does love look like? Empower us to step out in faith and to take action, both here at Restore and in every other part of our lives. And thank you, God, most of all, for loving us first. We love because you first loved us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.